Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Bananas are wonderful and delicious things. But they are also delicate. Whole varieties of banana, in fact, have been decimated in the past by fungal diseases, particularly variants of the Panama disease, and uh, a, Panama, a, a variant of that disease, Tropical Race 4, is actually a, a huge fear for banana exporters around the world. So, trying to find a way to make bananas more resistant to diseases is very important, and that is what distinguished Professor James Dale from the Queensland University of Technology has dedicated a couple of decades of his life to. James is the head of the Banana Biotechnology Research Programme which thinks it has developed a genetically modified banana that is resistant to Tropical Race 4. I spoke to James earlier today, and we began by talking about the type of banana in question, which is called the Cavendish banana. Cavendish um, is around about 98% of the world's export bananas. So bananas coming into New Zealand, and I think they come from Philippines and Ecuador, etc., they'll be Cavendish. And where do most Cavendish bananas come from and why are they so popular around the world as an export banana? Right, okay. So um, uh, the majority come from uh, South and Central America, uh, uh, but around about 15% also from from the Philippines. Philippines is actually second largest exporter after Ecuador. But you know, there are a whole lot of other countries in that in that space in, in Central and South America, which are very large growers. Why is it so uh, so popular? So there are a whole lot of reasons. One is beginning of well, the first half of last century, Gros Michel was the export banana, but it was wiped out by a, a different strain of Panama disease, race one, and that's when Cavendish came in and took over because Cavendish is resistant to Panama disease race one. Very susceptible to tropical race four, but highly resistant to race one. So that was the first, that was the first criteria. But the other thing is that they're, they yield very well. Um, they've got quite a thick skin and so they travel well. They can be packed in boxes. They can be put into, into um, uh, um, uh, containers and ripened on the way to their markets mm-hmm. and then to top it off they taste pretty good they taste delicious yes and yeah. um cavendish bananas and you, you sort of touched on this there um they're also they're very very interesting at a sort of at a genetic and a reproductive level aren't they yes indeed yes so these are these are triploid bananas you know you and i are diploid we've got two copies of of all of our chromosomes uh, Cavendish and most other um, uh, domesticated bananas are triploid. And that's one of the reasons why they're sterile. And one of the reasons why people love bananas is that they are sterile. People don't realise that, but they don't have any seeds. Um, and so they're great to eat. 
banana seeds are like little pebbles because you can go into the wild and you can find wild bananas, which we did, um, and they're just packed full of seed with very little flesh. And if you tried to eat them, you'd probably break your teeth. And so if they don't have any seeds, how are they propagated? So all, all of the domesticated bananas are propagated uh, via what's called vegetative, repop- prop- vegetative propagation. And that's either through suckers, um, because they sucker from the bottom. Um, you can cut the corm into, into slices, because there are a whole lot of meristems around that, and, and, and they're called bits, and you can plant them. Uh, but much more commonly now, people are using um, micropropagation, tissue culture. So the bananas are propagated in tissue culture um, and, then, and then sent out as plantlets and, and acclimatised and planted that way. So no seed involved at all. And, and so it's my understanding, correct me if I'm wrong, but that th- this means that the genetic diversity of Cavendish bananas is actually very, very low and that, by extension, means that um, uh, diseases that this banana is vulnerable to could have a really catastrophic effect on, on the banana if it's spread far and wide enough. Is that, is that pretty much the situation? That is the situation, and not only the situation for Cavendish bananas, but virtually all bananas that have been domesticated because they all are genetically essentially identical with, with small mutations happening over time. So, for instance, we understand from from the analysis of of Cavendish, it's probably about a thousand years old. Mm-hmm. Um, so, this is a true true heritage variety, mm-hmm. um, and and so it's been propagated. It was a selection from a natural naturally occurring hybrid, so we didn't breed it. It's it's just a, a naturally occurring um, hybrid, mm-hmm. uh, and it's been propagated for a thousand years. So, I mean, lots of plants are vulnerable to lots of diseases, James, but we use fungicides to, and, and so on and so forth to, to sort of manage them. Um, but the disease that the Cavendish banana is especially uh, vulnerable to is, is what? It's fungicide resistance. So there actually there isn't really a good protection against this particular strain of Panama disease. Now, it's not that they're fungicide resistant. There right. just aren't any fungicides that work at the level. So these are, this is a soil-borne fungus. Um, there aren't any fungicides that you can spray on bananas that protect them from this fungus in the soil. That's the problem. I should mention there is another disease, uh, black cigatoga, mm-hmm. which we don't have in Australia. We have yellow cigatoga, uh, which is a leaf disease. And in most countries, it is controlled by fungicides. And to give you some idea, in uh, many countries, particularly in South and Central America and in the Philippines, we're talking people spraying once a week with fungicides. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Not fabulous. Yeah. So, I mean, the long and the short of this, um, the Cavendish banana is a really, really popular banana, particularly for export. Um, uh, it's hugely economically important to many of the countries that produce uh, Cavendish bananas in large numbers. But the threat of this Panama disease tropical race four hanging over these crops poses a, a, a really serious issue and one that you have been working on trying to arrest for, for quite some time, I understand. <laughs> yes, a bit over 20 years. 
Gee whiz. All right, so talk me through what you folks at the Banana Biotechnology Research Program, what you're doing to help out the Cavendish. It involves uh, genomic sequencing, is that right? Well, yes, yes, it did, but we started... We started well before the the genome of the banana had been sequenced. Mm-hmm. Um, and what we did, this, and this is going back to the very early two thousands, and and I often say this is before Panama uh, Tropic Racefall became a superstar disease. It was relatively, uh, it had a relatively small distribution, primarily in the Northern Territory in Australia and up through Asia. Um, but we decided that there was a, a, a very good chance this was going to become a massive problem, and it has. So what we did was to say, okay, we're already working on, should, I should say, we're already working on genetic modification of bananas and we figured out how to do that. Mm-hmm. Um, so we went looking uh, for genes that would provide resistance to the fungus. And one of the sort of classic approaches is to go and look in areas where uh, bananas evolved, and, and many of the bananas that we're talking about evolved in Southeast Asia. Mm. And lo and behold, when you go into Southeast Asia, you'll find wild bananas. So these are seeded bananas, they're diploids, that are resistant to tropical race four because the, the fungus probably evolved there as well. Right. And so we went in, in, in it's a banana called uh, Musa acuminata malacensis. Uh, we went into its genome and said, okay, let's look and see if we can find candidate genes that we did. We found a gene that looked really, really promising called RGA2. Um, so what we did is we, we cloned that gene out of, out of the wild banana and then we inserted it into a single cell of Cavendish. Uh, so we just transferred one banana resistance gene from one banana to another. Um, and then from that single cell, we were able to regenerate whole plants. And so we regenerated whole plants. We then had to take them up to the Northern Territory in Australia because at the time we'd done that, Tropical Racefall wasn't present in Queensland where most of the banana industry is. And so we took them up to the Northern Territory and we did uh, two rounds of field trials. In fact, our second field trial is still in the ground. And we took seven lines up there. Four of them had resistance, which was amazing. and one was a standout, and that's this QK4, because it was very highly resistant. Unfortunately, after five crops, we found two plants that were showing symptoms. They didn't die, but they were showing symptoms. So I couldn't say it was immune. Um, the other really important thing is it doesn't have any yield penalty. It yields exactly the same as a non-genetically modified banana. So, Emil, that's what we've done. Right, so you've you've taken you've found a uh, a Panama disease resistant gene from a different banana in Southeast yep. Asia. You've you've plucked yep. you've plucked that out essentially with a pair of scientific tweezers, and then you've implanted it into the Cavendish banana, and then you've grown some new banana plants out of that cell in the hopes that they're going to be Panama resistant Cavendish bananas. And lo and behold, that's what you've got. Exactly. Exactly. So the, the, the really interesting thing is that that gene RGA2 occurs in Cavendish bananas. It just doesn't work. So ah. essentially what we've done, we've, we've put in a version that works. You've activated um, it. You've switched the light switch. No, we didn't. No, no, no. That one's still switched off. Right, okay. Uh, we, we, we put in a version that, that does work. I see. 
And, and to the best of your knowledge, it, it hasn't affected any other parts of the banana. They still look the same, the colour's the same, the texture's the same, the taste is the same. <laughs> All of that up until the taste is the same is correct. We haven't tasted them yet. Um, <laughs> under the, the licence conditions that we had, and we have to get a licence to do GM field trials, uh, one of the licence con- conditions was that we weren't allowed to eat the fruit. Right. And so until last Friday, we weren't allowed to eat the fruit. And unfortunately, up in the Northern Territory just at the moment, there aren't any bunches that are ready to eat, <laughs> <laughs> which is which is infuriating. Um, it's very banana-ish, I, though, isn't it? You know, you can you, you might oh, be able to do the genetic uh, modification, but you can't. You know, you, you'll eat them when they're ripe and not a moment before. <laughs> they still have a mind of their own, um, and and. So it, uh, I'll be 99.9% certain that they'll taste exactly the same because we put in a resistance gene. There are three, 400 of these resistance genes, for, obviously for different diseases in bananas, um, and and they don't have, they obviously don't have an effect on on fruit flavour and, and texture, et cetera. So we're, we're expecting them to be t- taste exactly the same. So where to from now? I mean, will these bananas, I mean, you know, this will come as a big relief to banana growers, uh, presumably in Australia, up in Queensland. Um, uh, They'll be able to, what, be put out on the shelves uh, from next week onwards or are there still hoops to jump through? Oh, no. So so there's there's no plan on actually commercialising them in uh, any time soon. So in Australia, we've got Tropical Race 4 in in Queensland, but it's in a very, very small area. Mm. And it's very, very well controlled by um, the, the strict biosecurity regulations. Um, so it's moving, but very slowly. And so there isn't really, there's no demand for this banana yet. If you go to the Philippines, on the other hand, mm. where their export plantations are being wiped out, uh, if Australia ever got to that stage, we've got something that in Australia that our, our banana growers could use they don't need to use it at the moment but it's there it's our safety net essentially yeah i understand it's a fascinating area this around uh, genetic modification um and and gene editing it's an area where a lot of people have very very strong feelings there is a lot of unease um you you mentioned before you've been doing this for a long time. I imagine that you've had a lot of robust conversations with people about this over the years. Do, I mean, do you sympathise with that gingerness in this area? Uh, yes, I do. Of course. Um, and 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 a lot of the a lot of the concern has been hyped up by what we could say special interest groups um, that 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 demonise genetic modification. Not because of the science, but because it's of benefit to them. Um, what I find, there will be a group of people that really just have very genuine concerns around playing around with plant genomes. Yeah. Uh, it, it's interesting that, that many people don't realise that we've been playing around with plant genomes ever since Gregor Mendel's day when he figured out how to, uh, you know, tall and, and dwarf peas. So, um, and we've, we've been manipulating. And, if you, and, and even before then, we've been manipulating plants. This is just a different way of doing it. Yeah, this is why carrots, well, are, why carrots are orange, right? Selective breeding, essentially. Yeah, exactly. 
Exactly, exactly. And if you if you go and look at, at corn, at maize, it became from uh, it comes from Mexico, and it was derived from a little plant called teosinte, which had a, a corm, uh, which probably would be uh, about two centimeters mm. long and about half a centimeter wide. So it's been you know it's been selected. So what I find there is a group of people that are just really concerned about that, and and nothing is going to change their mind. Um, and and I, I I completely accept that and understand that. Mm. Um, there's a whole group of people that lump genetic modification all in together, and they still hark back to the days of, you know, when whether we're going to move, you know, mouse genes into in, into oranges and all those sorts of things. Well, those days are gone. You know, we've we've come a long way. Um, you know, it's, it's it's like going back to the original mobile phone. It was mobile as long as you could lift it. Um, uh, yeah, and and consider where we are today. Well, that's that's where genetic modifications come. We're not we're not going out and using crazy ideas. We're going in and taking a banana gene and moving it around. Um, so that's very important. And often when I sit down and explain to people who are really concerned about genetic modification and say, okay, this is what we've done. And you can nearly visually see their their relief that we haven't done something really dastardly. We've just moved a resistance gene from a, one banana to another. Um, and, and, and that group is a group that I think is much, much larger than most people expect. And, of course, there, there are another group of people who really just don't have any problem with it. Hmm. I mean, is there a... Is there a philosophical component to this, though, in the sense that, and I, I understand, we're moving to a slightly different territory here, but I see in, um, in the article in the ABC uh, that you're quoted and you, you write, uh, where you say, because of the technologies that we have available, we, we can also add, um, as you've done in a project in Africa, uh, increased nutrient content um, to to foods, you know, you can you can do that sort of thing, and it brings up the question a little bit, you know, where you draw the line, you know, maybe one day you're making bananas that are more resilient, uh, maybe the next you're making it more nutritionally robust, but then maybe further along the line, who knows what's been done to that banana, um, and and it, 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 when it comes to sort of trust in the food chain and in the the concept of organicness, people feel very strongly about those things yep and, and and i accept that so very important with genetic modification the um the process that we've got to go through to prove beyond reasonable doubt if you like that and saying exactly what we've done there and you can go and read exactly what we've done experimentally on the web because mm. we put everything down it's hundreds of pages of information um you can be absolutely certain whether whether you like the concept or not. The information is there, and and you don't have to be concerned about us doing something dastardly. Um, as we move along, we're moving into gene editing now, um, and and that's a that's a different mm. concept and the concept where um, uh, there are a number of jurisdictions, including Australia. In if it can happen naturally, why would it be regulated? And so that's that's starting to work its way through. Um, there is an area there which says, okay, how do we know exactly what's been done? Because it's very off, often very difficult to determine. But then on the other hand, let me go back to conventional breeding. 
Um, I can go out into the wild and I can collect, for instance, a tomato which has a tomato relative that has wonderful resistances and I can come back and cross that and I'll move 20-odd 20, 20 thousand genes across, mm -hmm. some of which may be toxic mm -hmm. and there is no control over that whatsoever. The control is that nobody actually wants to go and do anything dastardly. All of us, or the vast, vast majority of us, want to do, do plant breeding, whether it's the sort of molecular plant breeding we do or the conventional plant breeding, to actually improve what we've got. James, just finally on this, um, Australia, I understand, has a much more liberal regulatory environment when it comes to uh, taking uh, lab-done genetic modification examples and then um, putting them out into, into the world commercially. Much, much uh, more liberal than New Zealand. New Zealand's is, is quite old, I think. It dates back, I think, to the late 90s, early 2000s. Our new government, which was elected last year, has promised to loosen regulations a bit in this space or to, to liberalise them a bit in this space. Has um, this more liberal regulatory environment in Australia been of benefit to Australia, do you think? It will be. It will be. It's coming through. Um, so the 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 GM, you know, the GM regulations. For instance, ninety five percent of our cotton is genetically modified, and the majority of that is for resistance to bollworm. Um, and and we used to spray hundreds of probably thousands of tons of insecticide on cotton to to kill off these insects. No, you don't have to. Um, there were some massive amounts of, of uh, pesticide, and I think that's very important. Um, those sorts of things, have, I think, have been really very ben beneficial. There's a safflower out now that CSIRO, CSIRO developed, which has hyaluronic acid, um, and, and, and that, again, I think is going to be very important. Um, we're not anywhere near as liberal or as open as, as some other countries. Yeah. We've only got four or five crops that now are genetically modified and grown commercially. Um, there are countries with many more, particularly the US. It's a super interesting space, and uh, I'm sure that we'll talk about it uh, a bit more on this program throughout the year. James Dale, thank you so much for your time. Appreciate it. A pleasure. Thanks very much, Emil. And that was Distinguished Professor James Dale from the Queensland University of Technology. He also runs the Banana Biotechnology Research Program. Do you love anime, gaming, movies, and discovering how your favourite pop culture affects everything you do? Then join us on Crunchyroll Presents The Anime Effect. I'm Nick Friedman. I'm Lee Alec Murray. And I'm Leah President. Every week, you can listen in while we break down the latest pop culture news and dish on what new releases we can't get enough of. Whether you love movies, I'm going to tell you all about the uh, hopeful 4K re-release of Tron Legacy that happens. <laughs> <laughs> I'm right there with you. Or music. The music in this show yeah. is absolutely yeah. incredible. Or anime. Yeah, and under this sure. mask is another mask. <laughs> you can discover your new favorites right here on The Anime Effect. Listen every Friday wherever you get your podcasts and watch full video episodes on Crunchyroll or on the Crunchyroll YouTube channel.